Right now, as I speak these words, a former TV actor whose star was on the rise just a few years ago sits in a federal prison serving the first few months of a three-year sentence. How did she go from a darling of the CW network to a sex trafficker behind bars? How does someone with seemingly so much potential, an impressive resume, a loving family and friends, fall so far from grace and so deeply into a cult? Welcome to Strange and Unexplained with me, Daisy Egan. I'm a writer and an actor who likes to think they're impervious to brainwashing. Then again, I did get roped into The Bachelorette. But honestly, have you tried it? If you haven't, you really need to. Anyway, this week, when a celebrity gets arrested, it's usually for something nonviolent a DUI, financial fraud, tax evasion, solicitation of a sex worker. But Allison Mack's offenses were like something out of a bad horror movie or several true crime documentaries about the cult Nexium. So here's a warning that potentially triggering mentions of sexual assault lay ahead. But as usual, I don't bother going into graphic detail. Ah, the Hollywood starlet. Is there anyone we are collectively more fascinated by? From their on-screen personae to their carefully crafted public image, their hairstyles, fashion hits and misses, what their favorite Starbucks order is, to their slightly less carefully crafted scandals. Who's cheating on who? Who got caught speeding up the PCH in Malibu after a night of partying? Which one is slowly falling apart in the public eye? We sure do love our Hollywood starlets. Every day they arrive in Los Angeles in droves, stepping off the bus from somewhere in the great big middle of this country with just a suitcase and a head full of dreams, just knowing in their heart of hearts that they're going to be the next Zendaya or ScarJo. It doesn't matter to them that their chances of making it in Hollywood are about a million to one, or that most of their idols started acting when they were still in diapers or that the lengths it could take to reach the top might be way more than they bargained for. For all the glitz and glamour of the red carpet, there are unwelcome and unwanted sexual passes, advances, or assaults, the promises of parts and movies for sex, the sexual extortion for fame, and then there's the more insipid sexualization of girls and young women that we've seen time and time again advance careers. For one Hollywood star, though, the tables turned and she somehow became the perpetrator rather than the victim. Alison Mack was born in Germany to an opera singer and a school teacher. I don't know if her parents were Americans or Germans, but by the time she was four, Alison and her family had moved to Southern California, where Alison started her acting career, like many young child actors do, as a model. It didn't take long for her to graduate to commercial work. Listen, once you've posed for enough JCPenney ads, it's not a stretch to add in a, mmm, cookie crisp is my favorite cereal. And once you've mastered the art of making sunny delight look at all drinkable, the natural progression is to start auditioning for TV and movies. 
Mac booked some pilots and got small parts in a handful of movies, including, incidentally, Camp Nowhere, which I came close to booking, but instead my friend and the girl who was my understudy in The Secret Garden, Melody, booked. Just a random fact you can pull out at parties to bore your friends with. Mac played a small role. Mac was a pretty normal-looking kid, blonde hair, blue eyes, no outstanding features. The brutal truth of show business is that looks matter, even in little kids. So plain Jane kids like Mac and myself are usually relegated pretty early on to the sidekick parts. In 97, Mac landed her first regular role on a TV show called Hiller and Diller. Remember that one? Yeah, me neither. It was a year after booking that job that Mac decided she was ready to live on her own. She was 16. Alice and Mac's parents apparently had no problem with Mac going off to live by herself when she was 16. Not to worry, though, she didn't actually go live by herself. No, she went to live, quote, with friends, presumably other children. According to an article about Mac in The Hollywood Reporter, someone who worked with her throughout her career and wished to remain anonymous said about kids living on their own, quote, it was as normal as normal can be in this business. Her parents were just like, this is what she wanted to do, end quote. You know what else is normal as normal can be in this business? Former child stars becoming addicts, robbing banks and or dying in a trailer park somewhere. Just because it's normal doesn't mean it's healthy. I booked a pilot when I was 12, but my mom was dying and there was no one who could accompany me to Los Angeles. I begged my mom to let me go with a chaperone, but she didn't. You wanna know why? Because she wasn't a moron. Sure, I didn't do the pilot, which didn't get picked up anyway, so there. But I also didn't end up at Hollywood nightclubs doing rails of cocaine off some creepy producer's penis. No, that wouldn't happen until my early 20s. Just kidding, I would never do cocaine off of a penis. Children listen to this podcast. Anyway... One of Mac's closest friends at the time was fellow child actor Christine Lakin from a TV show called Step by Step. And again, incidentally, my comedy partner Jordan and I went through a phase where we would get what Jordan called Lakened, which meant Christine Lakin booked a role one of us was up for. It happened frequently to both of us. We just kept getting Lakened left and right. Before she was lakening me and my comedy partner, Christine Lakin was good friends with Mac and later said that she was, quote, hilarious and, quote, up for anything. But she also said, quote, the only thing I can think of is she so badly wanted to connect with something that she didn't see the rational side of things. The person that I knew way back when was very curious about the world and relationships. I think she was just constantly searching for something that was missing in her life. End quote. Call me crazy, but the thing missing in her life just might have been her family. Mac was plucked out of traditional school years earlier and earned her GED at 18 in 2001. This is particularly ironic because if she was so curious about the world and relationships, I hate to say it, but 
regular school might have been the best place for her. I loathed school, but at least it gave me the opportunity to be around people my age and learn things. Granted, I didn't form any lasting relationships, and I don't remember much about the education aspect of it, except that I farted during my science fair presentation. But still, there are actual benefits to going to school. 2001 was also the year in which Mac booked a CW show called Smallville. I never saw it, but according to the internet, it was a show about Superman's teenage years. Mac played Chloe Sullivan, who The Hollywood Reporter described as a proto-Lois Lane, which might lead one to believe she was the love interest, but no, she worked at the school paper in a nod to Lois Lane working at the Daily Planet. And though she was one of Clark Kent's best friends, she was also in love with him because, of course she was. I would do anything for you. Are you feeling okay? I've never felt happier. Clark. Uh... Can't you see? I'm devoted to you. I love you, Clark. But the CW wasn't going to have the heartthrob of the show be in love with some newspaper nerd. Instead, Clark was in love with Lana Lang, played by Kristen Kruick. And then, confusingly, they introduced a character named Lois Lane later in the series. Listen, don't pull the thread on this one. It's very loosely stitched together. Apparently, fans of the show were frequently unkind to Mac over her looks. According to the New York Times, quote, Chloe was the clever but grating best friend next to the ethereal dream girl Lana Lang, played by Kristen Kruick. Fans were cruel when contrasting the two young women's looks, and it was not lost on Ms. Mac, who was sensitive to criticism. End quote. How unusual. A human being who's sensitive to criticism? Why, I never. Mac's former agent, Judy Savage, who was one of the main agents of children in Hollywood, (coughs) Vulture, later said, quote, If you saw her, she was kind of an ordinary-looking girl, wasn't gorgeous or sexy, but could make herself into anything on screen, and you would be really surprised at her work, end quote. Because Lord knows, it's always surprising when someone who isn't gorgeous or sexy is talented. I want to take a brief detour here to talk about what being an ordinary girl in Hollywood is like, because take it from me, I know. In an industry in which sex sells, the pressure to measure up is immense, and you are reminded of it at every turn. When an actor gets an audition, we're sent an appointment sheet that includes a description of the character we're auditioning for. For someone like me, and I'm presuming Allison Mack, the character descriptions, especially for the CW that was a network that specialized in teenage soap operas, usually went something like this. Bobby, late teens. Not a girl you'd look twice at. Plain. Wallflower. Easily missed. But don't underestimate her just because she's not a looker. Bobby can eviscerate you with her wit and intelligence. What Bobby lacks in looks, she makes up for with grit. Quirky. Quirky, by the way, is Hollywood speak for not pretty. I'm sure Mac had the word quirky thrown at her so many times she might as well have made it her middle name. And please don't mistake me. I'm not saying she wasn't pretty. Hollywood was. Another area of insecurity for Mac was her lack of formal education. 
Sometime in the mid-2000s, she began posting a blog on her personal website, and in 2007 she wrote, I have a tendency to say I am stupid. I have become very comfortable chalking things up to the fact that I don't have a proper education. In the mid-2000s, when Allison Mack was writing about her tendency to call herself stupid, I was also nursing a terrible habit of muttering, I hate myself, whenever I would do anything I considered to be not right. Drink too much? I hate myself. Show up late for something? I hate myself. Spill the salt? I hate myself. It was around this time that I discovered The Secret, the straight-to-DVD movie based on the book of the same name. The secret of The Secret was that our perception shapes our reality. So, if you walk around calling yourself stupid or saying you hate yourself all the time, you're going to start believing that you're stupid and hateable and act accordingly. Inevitably, everyone else will start to believe you're stupid and hateable too. Thus, your perception has created a reality around you. The Secret also basically claimed that the universe was a catalog from which you could order whatever you wanted and it would appear, which is not only false, but also a tremendously privileged worldview. One only need follow a mediocre white dude around for a day to learn the value of believing in yourself. There are whole churches based on the theories in The Secret. I went to one or two services at one of them. At that point, I had sufficiently internalized the message that my perception can affect my reality, and I had stopped telling myself I hated myself, and things were better. And then I remembered I hated church. Also, I had a great therapist. My point is, when Mac and I were both at vulnerable places in our lives, we both found something to help lift us up. And here's where I'm going to laken myself out of this episode. As you'll soon find out, this is where the parallels between my life and Allison Mack's diverge. When in her mid-twenties, Mack made a choice that would send her down a very, very dark road. Just about a year before telling the world she thought of herself as stupid, Mack was introduced to a man who heard the gremlins inside her head and fed them until they became a multi-headed beast, too big and terrifying to control. That man was the leader of a cult called Nexium. I'll get to that asshat in a minute. Mac's introduction to Nexium, spelled for some fakakta reason, N-X-I-V-M, was through one of its many subsidiary groups called Jeunesse, spelled J-N-E-S-S, a so-called women's empowerment organization. Her Smallville castmate, Kristen Kruick, took her to a Jeunesse workshop in Vancouver. Jeunesse was run by Nancy Saltzman, who looks and speaks like a literal nightmare. In a promo video with an unnervingly large smile on her face, leaning toward the camera as though the feds might burst through the door at any moment and she'll have to hightail it out of the country, Saltzman acknowledges how unusual it is to have a woman's empowerment organization that was started by a man. But, she assures the viewer, he is a brilliant man. Well, in that case, sign me up. There's nothing that says women's empowerment than a guy telling women how to get it. And for the low, low price of just thousands and thousands of dollars, you too can be female empowered. By a man. 
Saltzman filled Jeunesse workshops with the worst kind of heteronormative, misogynistic, harmful falsehoods, telling her followers that men are basically just sex maniacs and that women need to do what they can to keep their men happy. They want a clean home, good food, and a fuck. That men are naturally polyamorous and women are naturally monogamous. That men think and women feel. And that women are inherently dependent on men. It's almost like the world stopped in the 1950s in the universe of Nexium and Jeunesse. In Jeunesse, small groups of women met daily or weekly, I don't know, to discuss their issues. Though, from everything I understand about this ridiculous nightmare of a cult, any issue you had was your own fault. So I imagine Jeunesse meetings were just women slapping each other and yelling, Snap out of it! A la Cher in Moonstruck. That was my share impression. They also went running together and probably braided each other's hair and had pillow fights. Who cares? Allison signed up for Jeunesse and Nexium pretty much right away. And at the end of her first weekend of Jeunesse workshops, she was invited to fly to Albany, of all places, on a private jet to meet the one, the only, the vanguard, that's literally what he made everyone call him. Keith Raniere. This fucking guy. Look, this isn't an episode about that fucking douche canoe. He doesn't deserve a single second more of attention than has already been heaped upon him. But explaining what became of Allison Mack without talking about this human skid mark is like explaining the current economy without talking about the president who tanked it. You know what I mean? When I say it's hard to understand what Mac found so compelling about Ranieri, I mean, it's impossible. The man was a snake oil salesman. He is a caveman, no offense to cavemen, with the charisma and charm of a wet sock. But in every documentary about Nexium, they show footage of him speaking, followed by a parade of skinny white women going on and on about how brilliant he was and how the things he said were revelatory. Most of his babble was nonsense about human potential or whatever. Words strung together in an order that created false platitudes you could put on a poster over a picture of a waterfall and hang in a guidance counselor's office. Nexium was supposed to be a self-help organization, which doesn't even make sense. If the help is supposed to come from yourself, why do you need to pay someone else a bunch of money for it? The mission was to help people reach their full potential or some garbage. It had monthly dues and charged for all the classes and workshops on top of the dues. In truth, no matter which way you look at it, it was not only a scam, but also a cult. It is really hard to wrap my head around how people didn't see immediately what this thing was and go running for the hills before plopping down thousands, hundreds of thousands, or millions of dollars for classes in which Ranieri would expound on the normalcy of wanting to have sex with babies. I'm not being hyperbolic. He literally said that. He also said that rape and incest victims are to blame for the horrific things done to them, basically for the sole reason that they didn't like it. 
And the only reason we don't have sex with children is because the government tells us not to. But there's no reason a man shouldn't be able to have sex with any child he wants. And if the child doesn't like it, that's her fault. Honestly, people, if someone wrote this guy as a supervillain, we'd say he was over the top. Mac was quickly brought into the inner circle of Nexium's founders, Keith Raniere and Nancy Saltzman. Mac had become so convinced by Nexium's empty promises of a better humanity or whatever, and so enamored of Raniere that she moved from Brooklyn to Albany to be near him. Have you ever been to Albany? I'm telling you, that is some serious dedication. Moving to Albany? But this way, Mac could attend Ranieri's weekly volleyball games and take long walks with him and stare dreamily into his eyes while he spouts nonsense, as she does in every video of the two of them together. It's just incredible, because I think when we first met and I first started studying the work that you produce, I felt like I was in university for my soul. <laughs> but this felt like education in terms of like my inner light or my <laughs> spirit or whatever. I don't know what to call it. Ranieri was supposedly celibate. I don't know why so many high-level leaders of cults and religions are supposed to be celibate. I mean, I do. Women are filthy, disgusting creatures, and any real man of God wouldn't even want to sully his body by sharing it with such a beast. Plus, God, for some reason, really likes his people to be sexually frustrated, I guess. Listen, I'm not going to kink shame God. Ranieri was absolutely not celibate. And one of the people he was absolutely not celibate with was Mac. Mac and Ranieri seemed to share a special bond, and their relationship such as it was, was the perfect breeding ground for an absolute implosion of the more than 20-year-old organization. And that, in and of itself, would have been something to celebrate. But while unwittingly blowing up Nexium, Ranieri and Mac blew up their own lives, and worse, the lives of dozens of other innocent people. By this time, Mac was insisting that anyone in her life who wasn't already in Nexium join Nexium whatever few people were left in her life, that is. Like every other cult you've heard about, Nexium encouraged members to distance themselves from non-cult members, either through coercion or outright demands. In November of 2016, Mac went home to see her family for Thanksgiving, and her brother was alarmed by how skinny she was. Mac claimed to be in the middle of a cleanse and wouldn't eat. She was also constantly on her phone and, as her brother described it, sort of in a daze, vacant. He was concerned. And, as we'll find out, for good reason. Because as weird as shit had been, it was about to get a whole lot worse. Turns out that in 2015, Allison Mack had joined yet another arm of the Nexium monster, a super secretive women's only group called DOS. DOS supposedly stood for a Latin phrase they claimed meant master of the obedient female companions, but spoiler alert, they were wrong, which I know 
comes as a huge shock. Mac began recruiting other women into DOS, which she claimed to have fully believed was another women's empowerment group. I guess Jeunesse wasn't empowering enough? She also claimed Ranieri had no involvement in DOS, nor even any knowledge of its existence, which is very much not true. The women that Mac recruited into DOS were her slaves and had to call her master. They were expected to text her in the morning and before bed to say good morning or good night, master. They had to ask permission to do anything. They were kept on a diet that would put any torture camp to shame and expected to run 40 miles a week. They were forced to take cold showers and do planks. This, the women were told, was supposed to build character and prepare them to experience love. What, I hear you say? How do cold showers and starvation prepare anyone for love? Ranieri had come up with an insane philosophy that one cannot experience love without pain. That it's not the love that's measurable, but the pain associated with it. Please don't make me try to explain this because I literally can't. It is the spewing of a megalomaniac with the intelligence and personality of a 14-year-old boy. No offense to 14-year-old boys. At any rate, the torture Mac was making these women endure was not for any other reason than that Ranieri was a pedophile who wanted the women he forced sex onto to look like children. And it was no secret that he was a pedophile. Women had come out publicly accusing him of rape when they were as young as 12 years old. Ranieri explained these accusations away as just people who were jealous of him and trying to take him down. Jealous of what, you might ask? I have no idea. But Allison Mack apparently bought into Ranieri's lies and was willingly grooming women for him to rape. All members of DOS were required to hand over collateral in the form of compromising photos or videos, deeds to houses, or false admissions of guilt to child molestation, and worse, false accusations of others committing abuse, rape, incest, etc. This collateral was meant to keep the DOS members in line, preventing them from defecting or going public. Mac assured her slaves that all this super damning and embarrassing shit that they were handing over to her was not only private between her and them, but was also necessary in order to build trust or some other mumbo-jumbo. While Mac was collecting collateral from her slaves, she herself was handing over collateral to her master, Keith Raniere. Yes, that's right. The same Keith Raniere who was supposed to have nothing to do with DOS or even know about it. The same Keith Raniere who was celibate. The same Keith Raniere who said that rape was okay. Among lots of other things, Mac's collateral to Raniere was the promise to give him any children she might ever have. Like a fucking wicked witch in a fairy tale, Ranieri made Mac promise him her future children. And, of course, Mac was handing all of the super confidential collateral her slaves were giving her to Ranieri. You know, to build trust. (laughs) 
One of the tasks Allison made at least one of her slaves do was try to seduce Ranieri. And of course, if the slave showed any sign of discomfort at this assignment, it was clearly their own issue they had to deal with. Because again, the only reason coerced sex acts would be uncomfortable is because you allow them to be. One of Mac's former victims explained being forced to receive oral sex from Keith, which she described as going on for hours on end. This is all unconscionable enough, but hold on to your hats. Because then there was the branding of human beings. Allison and Ranieri had decided that holding these women emotionally and financially hostage wasn't enough. They figured the best way to ensure loyalty from their slaves was to brand them with a cauterizing pen. The two of them designed a logo that they told the women represented the elements or some utter jibber-jabber, but was actually just their own initials, K-R and A-M. And in a, quote, super-secret ceremony, The women were held down by their fellow slaves and had this logo seared into their flesh on their pelvises. Needless to say, the pain was excruciating, the smell was horrific, and now these women had a permanent reminder of this nightmare they found themselves in. Here's where my mind starts to turn inside out. Okay, she got roped into a multi-level marketing scheme. Fine. Okay, maybe she still thought Nexium was a self-help organization with the goal to, like, fix humanity or whatever. Fine. But what could have possibly been the justification for amassing a harem of female slaves and making them call her master? How was forcing women to degrade themselves and willingly submit to blackmail techniques supposed to make anyone a better person? How did Allison Mack go to bed at night thinking she was making the world a better place by permanently scarring women she had already forced to starve and overexercise and be sexually assaulted? Like, how is that supposed to help anyone reach their full potential? And at what point did she stop and ask herself, wait, who here has been doing any potential reaching since they joined this organization? Like, from all accounts, all the people who joined Nexium had either abandoned their previous careers in order to climb the ranks within the cult, or had completely stalled out professionally since joining. Inevitably, the whole thing came crashing down, mostly thanks to the efforts of one of the victim's mothers who did everything she could to get the world's attention to try to get her daughter out of the cult. In early 2018, thanks to a mountain of evidence provided by former victims, Mac was indicted on sex trafficking and forced labor charges, and in April 2019, she pled guilty. In court, Mac's defense was that she too had been brainwashed by Ranieri and Salzman. Only now that she had woken up, she said, did she realize the depravity of what she had participated in. And it is important, I think, to remember that Mac was also being sleep-deprived and starved. I'm not justifying her actions. I think what she did was unconscionable. But I think she was an extremely vulnerable young woman who was in the wrong place at the wrong time 
and got sucked down into the bog so fast she had no way of seeing what was coming. Mac is definitely to blame for what she did. I'd like to think that if I had found Nexium instead of the secret, I would have known better. But even Mac's victims, in their advocacy work since being freed from Mac and Ranieri's grip, have acknowledged that these kinds of things can happen to anyone. Smart, accomplished, wealthy, seemingly commonsensical people have joined cults and stayed for years and years. Some never leave. A sadistic, egomaniacal, megalomaniac lunatic with half a brain can read one psychology book and figure out how to manipulate people. If you know how to win friends and influence people, you can use that for the wrong purposes and do some serious damage. The writer and poet James Baldwin said, if you're told something long enough, you start to believe it. It works in advertising, politics, and cults alike. The definition of a cult is a system of religious veneration and devotion directed toward a particular figure or object. One could argue that we're all cult members in one way or another. Some people worship a flag, some people worship money, some people worship a god or lifestyles. Certainly terrible acts have been committed by otherwise peaceful people in the interest of preserving all these things. I don't know. Maybe the lesson we can learn from Mac's bizarre and spectacular descent into depravity is to occasionally stop and ask ourselves, who or what is this thing I'm devoting myself to, and do they really deserve it? At the very least, if you find yourself picking up a cauterizing pen, put it down and call a therapist immediately. Next time on Strange and Unexplained with Daisy Egan, part one of a two-part saga, The Stainer Brothers. On part one, we'll learn about little Steven Stainer who was kidnapped when he was just seven years old, sending ripples through his family and bringing tragedy to four innocent women decades later. We have a lot of fascinating and bizarre stories to share with you this season, but we want to hear your episode suggestions as well. If you have an idea for something we should cover, whether it's a well-known case or something that happened in your town that the world hasn't heard about yet, go to our website, strangeandunexplainedpod.com, and fill out the contact form. Strange and Unexplained is a production of the Obsessed Network and is produced by Becca Gregorio and Natalie Grillo. This episode was written by me, Daisy Egan, edited by Eve Kerrigan, and researched by Jess McKillop. Our audio editor and mixer is Jennifer Swatek. Our social channels are run and managed by Amy Sapp. A complete list of our sources for each episode is available on our website. If you like our show, help us out by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. And tell a friend. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We are at SNUpod. And check out the Strange and Unexplained with Daisy Egan Facebook group to join in the conversation. <laughs>